Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the drill down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 224. Well, just ahead, new information suggests Netflix is having troubles with its new platform. And Steelcase sees signs of a return to the office and a return to furniture sales. And a fascinating conversation with a company seeing a boom in its data analysis tools. Informatica CEO Meet Whalia joins us. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind some stocks and a move. Joining me on the mic today is Siobhan Field from Australia, somewhere in Australia. Where are you Somewhere now? in Australia, that's right. I'm between Sydney and Melbourne uh, right now and on my way to uh, beautiful Sydney later today. So, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Netflix. Alrighty, Netflix, it trades with the ticker NFLX with a market cap of about $170 billion. Shares were down 4% in the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 62%. And you can compare that to S&P 500 12-month return of 16%. So, Corey Johnson, what is the latest with Netflix? Well, so glad you asked. There is concern, of course, at the lingering writer's strike in uh, Los Angeles in particular. Of course, it's it's national, but um, uh, I mentioned Los Angeles because that's where you used to live, Siobhan, and you know people who are deeply affected by this, no doubt. Um, well, is Netflix going to start to run out of content without fresh shows? Is that going to start to hurt their ability to grow subscribers, which is the most important thing for this business? And has the recent uh, threats of a crackdown on account sharing, maybe some of those cheapo users have not adapted the advertising supporting Netflix, which a lot of people thought was going to happen. But they haven't been going for it, apparently. Uh, the Netflix CFO spoke recently. Uh, of course, Netflix gets tons of attention when they report earnings. But in between these events, sometimes there are other people speaking. The CFO speaking, Spencer Newman speaking, at the Bank of America Media Communications and Entertainment Conference on September 13. And he talked about how uh, they've, they've really struggled to increase their ARM or their ARM average revenue per member. The members are not increasing uh, the amount that they are paying. Uh, of course, we have not been pricing increases anytime recently. And I want you to listen to this and see if you might hear some frustration from the CFO that he hasn't raised prices yet, uh, recently at least. And maybe they're thinking about doing that so soon. I don't know. Check out Spencer Newman right here speaking at the B of A Media Communications and Entertainment Conference just recently. We have the benefit on arm of extra member. So that's starting to build, but it's not that significant yet in terms of our overall member base, right? You can, you can as we said, if you just do the math, we had 5.9 million paid net ads in Q2, 
And of that, you know, we also said we have a pretty good mix between um, the kind of spin-off accounts and extra member, but a little bit in favor of spin-off accounts. So not all of our net ads were because of paid sharing to begin with. And then if you think about a subset of that on, on extra member, it's just not a huge amount of extra members to drive ARM yet. And we said ads, which is also a driver of ARM, is just not that material yet. So those things kind of cancel each other out, but they're just, they're generally noise in the system that you wouldn't see. The real story is that we haven't been increasing pricing since early 2022 and we've lapped price increases. So that's kind of what you're seeing in the ARM trends in both Q2 last quarter and what we guided to for Q3 because the main action we're taking to accelerate revenue growth this year is the rollout of paid sharing. And the way paid sharing shows up initially is bringing in more paid members, you know, which is not an ARM driver, it's a paid member driver, which shows up in revenue acceleration. So yeah, not great gains in their advertising business, Siobhan, and also uh, that ARM, that average revenue per, num- for, per member, they would like that number to go up, of course, but it hasn't been happening without price increases. And interestingly, Corey, that is something that's happening all over the world. I did a story recently on 200,000 users abandoning Netflix here in Australia because of the password sharing um, restrictions. So, yeah, definitely not new, not good news for a company like Netflix that needs international sub- subscriber growth too. Yeah, because they really have seemed to seemingly tapped out the U.S. market in terms of growth a long time ago. Yep, absolutely. All right, Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at the great company from Grand Rapids, Michigan. There are so many. Did you know that my people are from Grand Rapids, Michigan, some of them? I did not. That's very interesting. My favorite business in Grand Rapids, Michigan was Johnson Carpet, but it is no more. Started by Um, my grandfather. But uh, uh, Steelcase, much bigger company, the company that uh, had some big news this week. All right, let's look at that one. Steelcase, it trades with the ticker SCS, market cap of about $1.2 billion. Shares were up 20% in the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 16%. Now, what's the story with Steelcase, Corey? Yeah, big move, 20% move this week. Well, why? Because they reported a quarter that really wasn't great. Orders down 7%, revenue of uh, $863 million, down 1% year over year. But the commentary was really upbeat because Steelcase's CEO said that she was seeing return to office mandates leading to new orders. And she thinks that it's not only new orders from people going back to work, that the companies that downsized now are requiring people to come back to work and have to upsize, but they're upsizing to a different kind of office, a kind of office with with more privacy, uh, the ability to have private Zoom calls with people maybe who haven't come back to the office. Those kinds of changes, Steelcase hopes, means new kinds of furniture and uh, Steelcase's CEO, Sarah Armbruster, talked about that, uh, that continuing business uh, and new kind of projects for new kinds of furniture uh, and companies, again, that were shrinking, now growing their footprint, needing new furniture to do so. I think that's right. Continuing business first, followed by project activity. You know, and I would say that I think, you know, as companies sort out not just their sort of workplace strategies, but also sort out their real estate strategies, I would anticipate that we should see more project activity. In fact, I was talking to a CEO of a large financial services institution a week or two ago, and you know, his comment was that during the pandemic, like, like all of us, right, everybody got sent home. 
Um, and as they were in the pandemic, they shed some of their real estate holdings uh, because they didn't need them. And his comment to me was, now that we're bringing everybody back, we actually don't have enough space to have everybody. So they're looking at investing you know, in new facilities, which would drive project business more than continuing business. So I think you know, if you start to see one and then a few and then, and then many of those kinds of situations unfold, um, you know, to me, that, that bodes well for our opportunity to capture that kind of business. So on my Twitter, uh, Siobhan, I will put up some pictures of some of these steel cases, modern offices that have these crazy spaces, like almost look like like a like a tent pitched in the middle of an office where someone goes to take a private phone call. Um, it's it's a really interesting um, uh, methodology to try to create private spaces and open spaces all at the same time. Yeah, for sure. It, it is interesting, isn't it? Because with folks not coming into the office, we've got to connect with them and, and need privacy. There's also so much, um, you know, co-working space that is now being used. Um, and that's something I, I deal with too. So uh, those little cubicles where you can have a private conversation are very valuable. And hey, they've got to be furnished, don't they, Corey? I did some work for um, C3.ai um, a few years back and very much an open office plan. Tom Siebel, the CEO, wants to see what everybody's up to at all times. Uh, but there are some rooms to do private conversations. But famously, one of the, they're like these little, um, almost like test tubes you go into. But one of them famously doesn't keep the sound private. It bounces the sound out to the people sitting near there. And over and over again, you'd have people go in there thinking they're having a private phone conversation. And in fact, the sound is being amplified and broadcast to all the people around the space. It's kind of hilarious. Yeah, not not ideal. Uh, you know, that reminds me, Corey, of our Bloomberg days. And, of course, uh, Mayor Bloomberg himself had a uh, had an open office, didn't he, on the, on the uh, newsroom floor. But I would imagine his most private conversations happened in a lovely, furnished, secure environment like we've just been talking about. And here I thought you were going to divulge some of my private conversations when I worked at Bloomberg. I wouldn't dare. No, we don't want to do that. I wouldn't dare. <laughs> All right, let's move on. What's your next drill down? I want to look at AutoZone. Okay, AutoZone. It trades with the ticker AZO. Market cap of about 45 billion shares were down 2% in the last week. But for the last 12 months, shares up 20. All right, what's the story there? Well, did I tell you, I did some driving last week. I have seen your Over pictures. Over the last 10 days. Yeah, you have been all kinds of places. Where are you now? Where, where are you doing this? this I, I'm back in the office in San Francisco, but I, I uh, have, uh, I drove 4,000 miles in the last 10 days. Not in circles, as one normally does. I went and bought a car in Miami and drove it back to San Francisco. And stopping to see some take? friends along the way. Yeah, how many stops? Well, I took that. I took the long route. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was in, I saw a bunch of friends in different places in Florida. Visited with some family in Iowa. Um, uh, saw some friends up in uh, in Jackson, Wyoming. It was it was a great trip. Well, that's a lot of miles. A lot of miles and uh, great a vehicle. Lot, a lot of exposure to the heartbeat of of uh, the beautiful United States of America. That's that's why you're so good at what you do, Corey. You're connected with the people. The flyover states. Well, I visited with some companies along the way as well. But uh, the experience of buying a new car or even buying a, a barely used car, in my case, uh, was not the experience during COVID that so many people had. People were buying older and older cars and needing more parts to fix those cars. Uh, in fact, a report from Evercore recently noted that the cars on the road right now have reached an average age of about 12 and a half years. 
And uh, the number of cars uh, between four and 12 years is on the way up. That all means more parts for cars. That should be good news for AutoZone. And yet uh, AutoZone's numbers this week, not really good. They announced they saw uh, same-store sales up only 1.7% in the U.S. Now, they got bailed out. The top-line number was fine because Mexico and Brazil, 34% increase in same-store sales. Fantastic for AutoZone and really helped them uh, in the quarter. But I thought the most interesting thing here wasn't, you know, we know that uh, uh, patterns are changing post-COVID. People are spending less time working on their vehicles and buying uh, uh, both um, uh, uh, do-it-yourselfers as well as the the commercial uh, car repairs. But inflation was a big deal for AutoZone before this year, but inflation not a big deal for AutoZone. Listen to the CFO, Jamiri Jackson. You know, the first point I'll make on inflation is that, you know, we've been copying uh, hyperinflation uh, relative to our store industry trends for quite some time now. And so as inflation is sort of moderated and faded to um, sort of the normal rates, um, you know, those are the dynamics that we've been experiencing. As it relates to our business moving forward, you know, we expect um, inflation to be, you know, in the low to mid single digit range that will impact our tickets. Um, on the DIY side, as we've said, we've historically seen transaction counts um, decline kind of low single digits, if you will. And so we expect to be operating our business closer to historic norms moving forward. In terms of the macro environment and, you know, the, and how that's played out from an inflation standpoint, um, we haven't seen to this point uh, sort of a wobble from the consumer. Um, we think it's been a two-speed world for a while where the low-end consumer has uh, been under some pressure, but consumers that have, um, you know, higher incomes have been doing well. And uh, the net result of that is our business on the DIY side has been very, very resilient. So the DIY business, the fix-it-yourself car people, the car guys, if you will, uh, very, very resilient. Not big, not big growth, but very resilient. And they could use that right now as their U.S. business is not doing as well as you would think given the age of the average American car. Yeah, so interesting. On this road trip I'm on right now through the heartland of Australia, um, you know, new windscreen wipers I had to put in for the trip. I had to check the oil. You know, you want your tires to be good. So, yeah, all that DIY stuff. Um, I, I'm not looking to buy a new car. I, I want my uh, my trusty car to continue to be on the road and serving me for many years to come. I was very proud of myself for changing the wiper fluid in my car at least three times on this trip. It's a skill. That's about the extent. It's about the extent of my uh, car repair skills. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't say I'm, uh, you know, too skilled in that area. And luckily, I, I had a lovely gentleman, my father, who stepped in and helped me with the wiper blades. So there we go. <laughs> Well, I'm better with uh, Microsoft Excel than I am with an engine. So there we have it. Look, we all have our strengths in life, don't we, Corey? <laughs> All right. Well, coming up next, we've got a fascinating interview that touches on AI and some really interesting ways in the ways of of data management and how companies are trying to manage their data and create value out of all the data they've gathered all of, over these years. Uh, Informatica managing uh, well over 24 petabytes of data for their clients and helping them find gold in those piles of data. Informatica CEO Amit Walia joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight, ever. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. 
Right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined again by Amit Walia, the CEO of Informatica. Really interesting company. And boy, right on the news, we talked uh, Amit about a year ago, and I'm so glad to have you back on the show. Corey, great to be back. So uh, uh, we, we, we talked to a great extent about what your business is, and I want to get to that because not all of our listeners, we have so many new listeners who maybe didn't hear the old show uh, from a year ago. But I thought I'd start with, um, I was looking at a, a chart that my friend Daniel Newman at Futurum Group um, put out recently, and it was, it was really interesting. It was, a, it was a scan of keyword growth in company conference calls over the last year. And to no one's surprise, perhaps, but there was a tremendous growth um, in the words, like a well over 120% growth in, in two words and, and multiple mentions of large language models and generative AI. And although you and I did not speak about these things uh, when we talked a year ago, your business seems to sit right in a place where we talked about all the things that go into uh, AI and large language models, which is managing massive amounts of data from companies uh, when they don't even know where they have it and trying to put it to use. Um, and so these must have been exciting. This must have been an exciting year for you uh, since we last spoke um, uh, with all of this um, newfound excitement about the old world of artificial intelligence and machine learning. No, indeed, Corey. I think, look, a lot has changed. Clearly, something called generative AI has come in the last uh, year or so. It may, in fact, in the last few months and has taken over the news cycle. I think, look, what we do, we Informatica do what we call data management. Fundamentally, when you think about uh, what we do is about bringing data together, making sense of it, putting quality on top of it, putting governance on top of it, so on and so forth. And when you step back and think about AI, AI is three parts, right? It's the what we talk about, the LLMs, the foundational models. But to actually put those models- LLM, to the large any, language models, yes, yes. Yeah, and to put those to any use, you ultimately have to put data in those models. And that's what we do. We bring data from all kinds of disparate places across an enterprise. And by the way, an enterprise can have hundreds of different data places of any type, put good quality, put them in those models, and then allow them to be governed and managed with security and governance for them to be used for all kinds of different application purposes. And that's what we're seeing giving us good tailwind in the current world. You know, we just finished our Q1 earlier this year and the business cloud grew 41%. I'm in a quiet period. We just finished Q2, but I can tell you the tailwinds towards cloud data and AI are secular and this wave just accelerates it. And I think it's interesting too, because I was listening to the interview we did a year ago. Um, boy, it was good. I, in particular, I did a really good job. I'm really proud of me. Um, you, you were fine too. No, uh, in all seriousness, we talked a lot about um, creating data sets that come from multiple sources for a company, but letting the company keep control of those data sets. And, I, and it really does make me think about a lot of the discussion about um, generative AI for companies where they want to keep, they want to create and keep a large language model within their own system. They don't want to let all of their information out into the world. They want to derive value from their data, but they don't want to let anyone else to drive, derive value from your data, which really is what we talked about a year ago, which is, which is Informatica finding the information, finding the data that a company has and letting it uh, populate something to do something with it. That's totally right. See, our belief is like today, what we're looking at with uh, OpenAI open and ChatGPT is that we are basically indexing this world of World Wide Web and we are finding answers to many things. That's not going to be the case for every company. You know, think about the kind of companies we serve, like an Uber, Burton Snowboard, Great Clips, Sanofi, uh, Unilever's of the world. They have their own data. 
they want to bring data from the outside and pair it with their own data, but their business model is tied to what they own, how business processes they run, their own data. Our goal is to take our data management platform, IDMC, and give each company the benefit of, we're going to give through our AI clear, the ability to take the best of all the LLMs that exist in the web, in the world, and curate it for them on their own data. So A, it's safe, secure, and it's also proprietary, and they can benefit from it. And we also have the ability to bring any third-party data from outside also to append and accentuate the existing data that a company has. That's a fundamental belief. You own your data. It's your data. You should get the maximum value of it. We'll bring the world of LLMs, foundation models, through our AI clear and give that power to you. How does the data that's collected, or what's different from your offerings in a generative AI world uh, of 2023 than you offered in 2021, which you might have gathered using the same tools and even presented similarly, but what's different now? Yeah, so two very different things. And I'll give you one example in the old world and the new world. So we we started leveraging our uh, AI clear on machine learning algorithms in the last many years, right? And think examples like what we do for photo tagging in Facebook. We took the same ML models and curated it to do data tagging in the context of searching data, governing data, indexing data, so on and so forth. So this we is a picture of a car. This is a picture of a truck. Yeah. And, and by the way, customers don't know. And when a new data set comes, if it's customer data, our AI clear will say, you know what? I know this data is clear data. I'm going to bring it and tag it as customer data, show it to you. And you users can say yes. And immediately it operationalizes. And your customer 360 systems can get start, start getting smarter. So it becomes, we were doing that in the last, couple of years. By the way, that doesn't go away. Many of that things will continue to happen. Now comes the world of LLMs. So we're going to take those uh, LLMs. OpenAI has LLMs. You know, we have Google will have LLMs. NVIDIA will have LLMs. Many LLMs will be there. And again, we will curate those LLMs to be used for a JP Morgan's use case, a Unilever's use case, or a Uber's use case. And by the way, in that case, also not every LLM is needed for every use case. You can't take a Thor's hammer and apply it on a small nail. Not every company needs an LLM. You may need an LLM or a part of that LLM to solve your problems. So in that context, we launched what we call Claire Copilot and Claire GPT. So through a very chat-like interface, you can start doing complex data management activities. Under the cover, Claire has democratized, simplified, so you don't have to do those complicated computer science tasks. Or in the case of a Copilot, it's sitting next to you. And let's say, Cody, you're trying to do a very complicated data pipeline job. It's going to keep telling you, start with step A. You did step two and three. Hey, you forgot step four. Did you think of step five? It'll make that skill gap that is struggling in the industry a very narrow, and it'll also improve productivity and drive total cost of ownership. Well, that's, that's, how it's thing. Thing. that's the thrilling thing about, um, you know, about OpenAI's two products that are out there, right? ChatGPT and, and DAL-E. I've, I've been using DAL-E, as our, as our listeners may know from in our social media, where I'm creating images to go along with my my tweets and threads and, and Instagram posts. Uh, and it, But if you think about what it does, right, it, it it creates the, I don't have to hold the paintbrush. I just tell the paintbrush what it, what it should have accomplished and then tell it why it didn't work and how to redo it. it same thing with the front end of, of manipulating a large language model. Um, and I have to take it, I don't have to take it on your word, but, but you guys have a reputation for making it simple to use those uh, massive piles of data. And, and, I, and I, it, I, it seems to me that in the corporate sphere, and I, I will ask you if it is a true thing, that the emergence of chat GPT and a CEO 
watching his kids cheat in his ho- their homework or noodling himself trying to come up with uh, those answers or maybe even herself, uh, if we're so lucky, uh, that they're noodling with that, fooling with that, thinking, boy, how should my enterprise be changing their processes uh, to use, um, now that I know what a front end of AI can look like, is there a different front end we can use to, on our data models? So totally. I'll give you an example. I'll give you actually two examples of amazing amount of, uh, you know, improvements. One is, uh, you know, with the help of Claire and, you know, with the old machine learning algorithms and now leveraging the LNMs that you can train by bringing in a lot of data and putting our data quality rules on top of it, we helped a large uh, healthcare uh, insurance processing company remove their data quality errors by 99%. What does it mean? It means two things. First of all, for them, it's lost revenue. When they have data quality issues, you know, they basically, let's say they cannot prosecute, uh, you know, reimbursements. Sometimes they put it as lost revenue. Oh, I thought you meant Second they're doing is, surgery on the wrong knee. No, no, no different data about, problem. Insur- this is about insurance reimbursement. Second is for a customer like you and I, who basically fighting reimbursement issues, it's a massive drain, massive customer sat issues and, you know, so on and so forth. So our insurance payments get a lot cleaner and better. And for them, lost revenue goes down. So for them, it was hundreds of millions of dollars of improvement. This is, by the way, very early days of us curating those LLMs and putting data quality and so on and so forth in, in those LLMs. In another case, you know, building data pipelines, these are complex computer science jobs to do. Sorry, what's and a data you know, pipeline? A, you know, basically, let's say you're building a customer, uh, customer's journal analysis uh, system. And in that case, you want to bring data from many, many places within an enterprise. So you're building pipelines. You're building data to be coming from different places. They're all because you don't, you don't need a data sample set from 2022. No, you need it correct. from right and now. Then, right now, no. Plus, no, data is coming from many places, sitting in different formats. By the way, incomplete data, non-proper data. You also want to want to bring data from outside to append. Let's say you have wrong email. Many things like that. So you're building these data pipes. There can be hundreds and hundreds and thousands of data pipelines to build a simple customer churn analysis systems. In the old days, every pipe is an individual activity to be done. Today, with the help of Claire in, in this generative AI world, we've automated 75% of it. We're going to tell you what to do, lay out a reference architecture. You stare at it, say, okay, let me go begin. And you're now queuing it versus building it from scratch and making mistakes and then spending months and months on this process. So that's the productivity improvement and also revenue enhancement that we see within enterprises. Again, very, very early days. Yeah. How do you expect it to play out and how do you expect the spending to play out? And you know, how does this, I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not asking about your quarter. I don't, you know, fundamentally I, I care about you. I don't care about your core, your stock, but um, I, I wonder how the spending uh, realizes itself because you guys have seen kind of um, flat year over year revenue growth, slight, you know, single digit year over year revenue growth in, in recent years. And I wonder, uh, surely this is a bigger opportunity for you than you've seen in a long time, but I wonder how you think it's going to play out. So two different things here. First of all, for us, because we are moving from on-premise to cloud business model, the overall revenue growth rate actually is immaterial to us. I think what investors look at is the cloud growth rate for us. And we just delivered, we guided 35% cloud rate, cloud growth rate for the year. We delivered 41% for Q1. So we exceeded that. So, So cloud is the area where we are. So because, you know, we are giving up on on-premise revenue. So that naturally creates a right. law of average. So I would this ignore that I, number. I wanted to bring that up. So, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, so cloud is the thing to focus on. And we exceeded by five points in Q1, the guidance we gave for there. And we feel very good about our cloud business. Uh, and, and this is a tailwind to us. Now the question that how we, we, we are benefiting, if you put the world into three parts in the world of AI, foundational AI, infrastructure AI, application AI, 
Foundational AI is the LNM models, open AIs of the world, so on and so forth, who are going to build the models. And there are going to be very few of them. We sit in the infrastructure part and the application part. Part of our business is application like master data management, so on and so forth, data governance. Part of our business is infrastructure, data integration, data quality. And without bringing data, good quality data and governance of data, there is no AI. Ultimately, the last mile of AI is going to be in every company. And we see that as we talk with chief data officers is, hey, my AI is as good as the, as much data I can bring with as high a quality. And oh, by the way, because everybody wants to use that, I do want to put governance on top of it. This is not the World Wide Web and ChatGBT where you and I can go search the web and get any answers. This is, if I am a large enterprise, I don't want to create regulatory compliance issues and brand issues. That's where we are seeing the tailwind and the conversations of generative AI with chief data officers, chief information officers, and business users. So back to that. So when do we, when does that spend show up, and when does we see an acceleration? Oh, I think you can start. I think it'll happen in the over the course of this year, and definitely a lot next year. I, I use this phrase: generative AI, tremendously overhyped in the short term, and I would say massively underestimated in the long term. Right now, we're in the hype cycle. It just came out. Every enterprise is figuring out the first proper use case, the governance models. So what you're going to see this year is the early spend consumer is always ahead in these cases because they can go out and do many things that have less issues like that so i would say you can start seeing second half of this year every conversation i've had is the first conversation from a cdo is so i know i have to do something can you help me what's the right first use case to go and by the way use case is also developing and tinkering and what's the right first operational use case not just tinkering on the margin right you will see that as we finish out this year next year will be the massive enterprise proper scale use cases. You're already seeing it, but it's still the early innings. I see that the next 18 months will be this uh, tremendous curve. Of course, as everybody's tinkering with it, you see the infrastructure layer grow. So I see second half of this year walking into next year as the growth curve of AI. You heard it first from Amit Walia, Informatica CEO. Thank you very much. Corey, pleasure to be here. Uh, great stuff. All right, coming up next, The Byte, one number that tells us a whole lot more about Informatica. Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, we're back with the drill down the bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Informatica. Siobhan uh, with me as well. Siobhan, um, the cloud subscription business for Informatica that we were talking about in the interview um, is, is really doing well. Well, the rest of the company might not be seeing a ton of growth uh, on the top line. And we heard about the changing business model there. But the number, the percentage growth for their annual recurring revenues uh, number again, those numbers are, is sort of locked and loaded recurring revenues. Fantastic growth. Here's a number: thirty-seven percent year over year uh, in the most recent quarter. And part of that reflects uh, their AI project, their Claire GPT at Informatica, the artificial intelligence tool that helps companies analyze and process their data uh, in a generative uh, format that we're now also familiar with, thanks to Chat GPT and others. Um, cool stuff for this company. Cool stuff and ChatGPT changing companies all around the world. It's a whole new era, isn't it? Indeed. I will thank you for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Thanks to Siobhan Field. Check out her latest Forbes Australia. I know there's uh, some big stuff coming up in the next week. 
Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Siobhan Field, our fabulous co-host this week. Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.